This podcast is about unsolved mysteries. Yes, the old TV show hosted by what we previously believed to be a reanimated corpse that we now think is actually just a ghost. Whenever possible, the hosts have used swear words to convey how they feel about some of the fucked up shit that was featured on this show. We will not apologize for that. What you're about to see is not a news broadcast, because this isn't TV. Tonight, on this very special edition of the Our Strange Skies podcast, we go into a topic that has never been covered on this podcast before. Murder. A Minnesotan woman has dedicated her bathroom to the city of Roswell, New Mexico. Can the secret of the Roswell crash be found in her bathroom design? Or is there never a treasure anyway? Another Minnesotan woman is accused of the heinous murder of a man in Minneapolis. Is she truly guilty of the crime? Or were the crimes of her past just crafts? Join us and solve some of these goddamn mysteries. Welcome, folks, to a special roundtable edition of the Our Strange Size podcast. And this month, we are paying homage to uh, one of the things that terrified me as a child, and of course, that is uh, Unsolved Mysteries, uh, Robert Stack's haunting visage that really terrified me, and that god awful theme, that theme music that just really sunk it home. I have some special guests with me, though. With me today. Samantha and Liz from the Perhaps It's You podcast. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having us. Paying homage to something that terrified you as a child is quite the way to start this episode. Well, it's true. I mean... I mean, it is. It ties a whole generation of people. Three of whom are here today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, uh, Robert Stack, just... One of the thoughts as a child was, is this man a ghost or not? Is he alive? I'm not sure. <laughs> is it because of the trench coat? I, it's the trench coat, the demeanor. Like He's, he's always backlit in a forest somewhere. Yes. yes so, or steam rising. Yeah. Yeah. And he just sounds creepy. And then you go back and watch some of his films and you realize that's how the man really was. <laughs> he he was perfectly cast for this role. He was. He was. Um theatrical demeanor. Yeah. Man's just real presence. <laughs> he brought it. He brought it to this to the show that has um haunted people like me. And uh so uh first it's things first. You watch this as a child too, Rob? Yeah. Do you ever look at your family and just go, what the hell? This was not appropriate. <laughs> so, like, maybe a year and a half ago, I asked my mom, Mom, why did you let me watch this show as a <laughs> child? Why? I am haunted by this. I mean, theme. everyone's mom did. Yeah. It's not just your mom or my mom. It's like, it's countless moms. And so she mom. goes, oh, it, it was your favorite show. It was your favorite <laughs> show. I'm like, how could this be my favorite show? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, it was. we really watched this in formative years of our lives, shows like this. So many people we've heard from watch this with their grandparents. 
like around the like at the dinner table like as a family (laughs) watching this very frightening show and then a woman was brutally murdered in the woods and they don't know who did it and they could be in your yard right now exactly that's the fear that is the fear the show brings you time for bed (laughs) (laughs) so in the 80s early 90s yeah yeah, and, and have anxiety issues. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, for me, the anxiety was brought on by three shows, not just Unsolved Mysteries, but Rescue 911 with William Shatner and also America's Most Wanted, you know, because you go for the trifecta of fear. Oh, yeah. Well, and those shows just, I mean, America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, like just reinforce that there's like scary people out there that haven't been caught yet yes. so as a child you're like well they're coming through my window Everywhere. yeah all over the place and uh <laughs> and, and rescue 911 reinforced the fact that people apparently fall off of cliffs all the time <laughs> oh, oh for yeah. sure that seemed like a real problem as a child yeah like but everybody it- was falling off of them Oh yeah, you were gonna stumble into quicksand at any moment. Quicksand, yeah. I really thought quicksand was gonna play a bigger role in my adult life. And earthquakes, where the ground actually broke apart. (laughs) Yes, and um, you know, I think from the unsolved mysteries perspective, uh, this you know, Satanism was just gonna be so huge. Yeah. And and that kind of died down. Nerds getting together. Oh no! I I mean I played D and D for years. I played D and D for years, and you know I have not turned to the sweet Satan yet. But I have to report you to the place. That's fine. You know. (laughs) Yeah, it happens. I mean, I'd like to report a game. (laughs) (laughs) A game of D and D in a subway parking lot. It's funny you bring up Satanism because. A specific episode of Unsolved Mysteries ignited our rewatch podcast, and that was the episode. The yeah, the the Kurt McFall case where mm-hmm. uh, he very suspiciously played D and D in a subway parking lot with his friends, <laughs> which means he was worshiping Satan, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah, one hundred percent. And that they killed him. Yes, they pushed him off a, a cliff. Him. Yes, allegedly pushed him off a cliff for Satan, like you do. That case is super sad because a young person died, but the way it's depicted in Unsolved Mysteries is so ridiculous and over the top. We make everyone watch it. All our friends have seen it multiple times at various social (laughs) gatherings. Totally normal. Being friends with us is super cool. So you're saying it's a gateway drug? (laughs) It is. Yes. Uh, Yes. Yeah, actually, yes. The real problem. The real problem is, uh, you know, Satanism is this just gateway drug into, like, trench coats and murder. What we're doing here today is we're going to be covering three particular stories that we all handpicked that delve into murder or missing people or really... Uh, the stuff that terrifies you most about Unsolved Mysteries. It wasn't It wasn't the unexplained stuff. That was fun. It sure as shit wasn't treasure because nobody found any. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate that you share our skepticism for treasure segments. They're our least favorite segments of Unsolved Mysteries by far. 
it's completely understandable. Nobody has ever found a treasure on that show, and um, actor has been bought, but for what? <laughs> they do seem like Robert Stack's favorite. I mean, we can't know for sure, but I feel like the, tr- especially like the old timey Western old treasure was like his mm. favorite, and yeah. they're just the most boring segments to us. Yes, about the sands and the mountains. Yeah, there's always like flute music playing in the background, and yeah, gold prospectors that allegedly buried their massive wealth in the ground somewhere in the in the desert. Wandered away. Why? No one knows. (laughs) (laughs) No one knows. Probably because it doesn't exist. I don't know. These kind of episodes seem tailored to people that don't have 401ks and never tried, you know, to start Sure, maybe one. you'll find gold. Yeah. Exactly. You look hard Not enough. Do you any good in the apocalypse? Can't eat gold. No, we've no. established that you need... That's beef jerky. Yes, we've established that you need beef jerky. Right. Well, I mean, you can eat gold. It's just you're not going to get any nutritional value from it. Doesn't seem like a good idea, oh, but you're right. Sure. Technically, you can. <laughs> Rich people put it on desserts just to be annoying. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's, if you want to make your meal like a single person's meal over a hundred dollars, there you go. It's the way yeah. to do it. Yep, exactly. Wow. That one woman. That's what Joe Rogan's eating right now. Probably. <laughs> no, he's he's got some like wellness bullshit. You know, he's peddling right now, and sure. you know, it's Joe Rogan. He tests everything. Oh right, right. It's only a matter of time before he's putting gold leaf in it or something like that woman who put gold leaf all over her face and said that she was like had psychic powers that was an unsolved mysteries episode we really enjoyed i mean i think that was at a time when i didn't even know what a michaels was i didn't figure (laughs) that out until like the mid 90s so yeah if you'd never been to a craft store that would look pretty miraculous it it would (laughs) it really would I think uh, first story we're going to start with is uh, the Audrey Moat story. So, Liz, take it away. My pick is a story that's traumatized me, even though I was not familiar with it until we started the podcast, but now it haunts me. Just re-watching this episode for our podcast today. Oh, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. I'm never going to forget poor Audrey. This is the tale of two lovers. They were meeting illicitly in the swamps of Louisiana. And their illicit romance ended in, you guessed it, murder. <laughs> so it opens on a very blue swamp, and the music for the segment is excellent. The music actually in mine was pretty good, too. That's another thing I noticed. It's just part of really what brings a good Unsolved Mysteries home and traumatizes you further. <laughs> it's when that like spooky synth gets into your soul. So this case is an old one. It's November 24th, 1956. We start at 9 a.m. on a chilly Saturday morning. A man is out hunting with his son, and they walk past two lovers in the car. This is an isolated area known as Frontier Beach, something like that. And the little kid says, What are they doing, Daddy? (laughs) And the dad says, Never you mind. Let's go. Hustles his son past the car, yes. Don't look at those naked people in the throes of fashion. <laughs> However, the next morning, they apparently went hunting again, which sounds really boring. <laughs> Despite living oh, in Minnesota. It's, 
it's big up here. We're we're almost into the swing of hunting season. Oh, we've been in I think goose season for a couple weeks now, and I don't know. Yeah, it's I'm annoying. A mouse, so I'm sheltered from these things. Oh, it feels like everyone in Minnesota hunts, and I don't get it. But that's well, I mean, you're you guys are in the big city. I am ripe for the uh, a random abduction in the on the streets of my small town. <laughs> so actually commutes in the see me in the city. Yeah, I live in a I live in a semi rural area, so I too may get abducted. You're living in the witch district, surrounded by queer anarchists. So it's a little different. Not a lot of you... hunting. <laughs> Clearly, you got the pick of the litter out of this. Yeah, Liz is in the better area for sure. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of witches in my neighborhood. There's so many witches in this neighborhood. I wish there were it's more witches great. in my neighborhood, but that's never gonna happen. They're out there everywhere, but. They're very, like, proud in the wish. <laughs> <laughs> the only yeah. thing that we have here is uh, apparently somewhere in town we have a shaman. Uh, I don't, I've never met the man, but uh, apparently he's good. Get, get yeah. him on your podcast, Rob. I'm going to have to track him down. I don't know where he is. but find out his theories on aliens. Yeah. A shaman. I- I mean, the only reason I know about him is because uh, one of the podcast that i frequent it's a podcast called somewhere in the skies and the host stayed at this really creepy as a bed and breakfast in my hometown which is run by a guy who's been abducted by aliens multiple times and that night that he was there apparently someone got abducted by aliens so i can't go back to my hometown wow have you ever had that guy on your podcast no I think no. you. I think you should. Also, it sounds like they're coming for you next. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna try. Uh, if I can move, I will throw my cat at them. See what that does. Oh no! Does that work? No. Do aliens hate cats, or is that just Alf? I think that's just Alf. But I will explore that mystery when I'm experiencing sleep paralysis or something. Yeah, you can look into that more. I mean, in a way, that would be really good for your podcast if you got abducted by aliens. I'm not saying that you should get abducted by aliens, but, like, it could work for your brand. I will put it into the monthly meeting that I have with myself (laughs) over what I want to do, and I'll give it a shot. Put that out to the universe. Like, aliens, please. Stop by. I am open to this experience. The real question is, am I open to this experience? Well, you're going to have to think about You're going to have to think about that, but I'm just saying if if you if you really care about your brand, Rob, I'm not telling you how to run your business. Now we are business women, but I'm just just some friendly serious, advice. Serious business women. Yeah, yeah. I very serious. <laughs> you need to do like podcast consulting work. That's oh, that's be the side job. You're available. Just because we don't do it now doesn't mean we're not open to the idea. So if someone's <laughs> listening, really thinks we know our stuff, give us a call. Uh, yes. We're just we're giving you free advice right now, Rob. Get abducted yeah. by aliens. We're giving you a taste. That was the gateway drug to our consulting. <laughs> that was the gateway drug to which I will be abducted. This awesome. Is this is business. Addicted. Yeah, we're bu- doing business right now. Anyway, you should probably continue your mystery list. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, so they go hunting yet again. Not a, it's next day, 9 a.m. Again, they should be asleep, but no. They made a grizzly discovery. 
which is that Thomas Hotard was dead in the car they had passed the day before. And Audrey was nowhere to be found. So Thomas was killed with a gunshot wound to the back of the head through the car window. And Thomas Hotard had been a 46-year-old engineer from the nearby town of Laplace. The woman he was with was determined to be 31-year-old Audrey Moat, a divorced mother of three. She has not been seen since. The case was really huge in Louisiana, and apparently everybody was gossiping about it all the time. This was, like, the rage. So there's like, this, uh, this was the case of Audrey. Uh, Robert Stack said something about folklore, right? Like, Louisiana folklore? Like, this was part of Louisiana folklore? It was like... That was kind of weird. The, the stories of the plague. Well, it happened, you know, kind of deep in the swamp, right? So it was like, it yeah. just lended itself to this, like, yeah, gossip that turns into local legend almost. Also, this is 56, <laughs> so it's kind of scandalous. The an affair. She was divorced. I really feel for Audrey being a single mother at this time. I think she just trying to have a little fun, like slice out a little piece of life for herself. And this is what happens. She gets it's tragic. Yeah, brutally murdered. It's horrible. It's it's one of the reasons why this segment haunts us. Yep. See, it does. All these segments, the men are terrible. Yeah. I'm not yeah. trusted. <laughs> no. No. I'm Rob. Listen, I take it as a big honor that you have come on to this <laughs> podcast. I I I, I do. We're trusting you with our voices. <laughs> you could be the sea witch. Okay. So we hear now from Audrey's daughter, who apparently before her death, Audrey told her mother that if anything happened to her, to take the three children and move far away. Why? We don't know. Then we get a reenactment with classic cars, and we learn that Tobias and Audrey first met through their work as scout leaders. He was working with the Boy Scouts. She was working with the Girl Scouts. They had to organize stuff together, and they fell in love. So they would both claim that they had to work on Saturday mornings, but they would actually meet and canoodle <laughs> down by the swamp. On this podcast, we call it doing the boom boom. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Enjoy swamp sexy time. Swamp sexy time. Good for that. I don't know what Thomas's situation with his wife was, but I really pulled more for Audrey. Poor Audrey. Yeah. So the day of November 24th, which was also Audrey's birthday, which just sucks. Yeah. On your birthday. <laughs> is that, yeah. is that an advice? Don't get murdered no. on your birthday? I just don't want that to happen to me. No, or anyone. That's horrible. So they meet at 7.30 in the morning at this cafe, or as Robert Sack says, like, Cafe or something. I can't even do it. We've talked about Robert Stack's pronunciations <laughs> from time to time. Cafe is a weird one. I don't know. He sounds very hoity-toity about it. There's a great video on uh, that I saw on Twitter the other day, and it was somebody that composed a bunch of segments of Alex Trebek saying the word genre because he says it like genre or something <laughs> like that. It's hilarious. He's Canadian. He is, but. I don't know where it comes from because, like, th there are some words that some people pronounce that it's so strange when I hear them that I'm taken out of what they're saying for like a few seconds. 
I don't yeah. know. That's just me. Someone wrote in just to tell me that I say the word supposedly weird. So you say you say it with a B, which I which I feel like everyone says that with a B. I don't know. Supposedly, I say it that way. I don't know, but yeah, people really will hear certain things very loudly. For us, apparently, it's the way Robert Stack pronounces certain words, like "cafe." Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the in that seven thirty in the morning, they drove out to Lovers Lane. At some point, before, between seven thirty and nine, when his father is discovered, Thomas is killed. We don't really know what happens to Audrey. When the police get there to investigate, on the ground is the contents of a woman's purse, and most of a woman's clothes are still on the floor of the car. She could have only been wearing a bra and a slip. There's also footprints of small bare feet found, followed by a large man's boot. So, at 7.30 that night, they find Audrey's car by the cafe where <laughs> she met Thomas. And keys that were found at the crime scene fit in that car. So at that point, they realize he was with Audrey at the time of his death. But they kind of rule out that she's the killer based on their remaining clothing. And also that the contents of the purse suggest that she was fleeing. And then a little bit later, her mom gets what sounds like a prank call of someone saying, Mom, I'm in trouble. I need help. And then was just hanging up. I think that's a really cruel joke. Yeah. I think if that was her, that was all she would say. This has come up a number of times since we've started doing this podcast and covering these Unsolved Mystery segments. Weird trolls like to harass fam- victims' families and call them and like pretend to be the victims. That's what it seems like because it happens pr- pretty frequently. It's, it's super gross. It's sick. I yeah. Mean, this is what people had to do before the internet to be trolls. Yeah, it must that must disgusting. be it. You did crap like that. You made your own UFO hoaxes, and I'm sure, um, I still do that. Yeah. Um, be outside your window tonight. <laughs> flashlights and like a pie tin. Um. Okay. <laughs> at least I can prepare myself. I could prepare myself. Also, good luck. There's a ladder in the garage if you need to uh, climb. Because I'm on the second floor. You're going to need to climb it. Okay. So, I just don't think this is her. I don't think her daughter would call and literally just say, I need help. No other information. No. And then she's supposedly spotted at a diner looking distressed. The the woman that supposedly saw her, I, she just saw a disheveled looking woman, mm. and I think she just had seen the reports of Audrey being missing, and then apparently everyone is talking about this. Yeah, and I think she just wanted to be part of that story. Yeah, and she just saw someone who looked tired in a diner late at night. I don't know. It... Ooh, so suspicious. Yeah, yeah, kind of like people hoaxing, you know, like seeing Mothman or something. You know, yeah. I want to be part of the legend. Bam. Are you saying that people didn't see Mothman? No, I'm saying I'm saying 100% that people did see Mothman. I'm saying that there were some people that didn't and really wanted in on it. Oh, like, that's probably true. That would be us, because we just really want to be a part of that story. Like, the story about the guy who... <laughs> the, the story about the guy who allegedly saw Mothman in his bedroom as he woke up one night. No, I don't believe that. that was I in... wish I saw Mothman in my bedroom at night. <laughs> Maybe that's a crush on Mothman. That booty, I, man. I don't know. It's irresistible. 
Uh, Liz doesn't yeah. think Mothman, real Mothman, has a booty, but I'm saying he's... He's a giant moth! No, he's part man, part moth. He's a moth <laughs> the size of a man. This is an ongoing issue in our podcast. I think the statue in Point Pleasant is more real. That's more of a realistic depiction That's of what, what he probably looks like. That's true, but I also think he's half moth, half man. <laughs> Rob, you're the third person. I think you need to you need to break this this tie. Is he half moth, half man, or is he a man sized moth? Oh God, I uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think that he's a man sized moth just because there seems <laughs> to be an you. intelligence behind whatever moth man does. Thank you. you. Descriptions of a giant moth, not of a hot dude with moth wings. <laughs> I don't think he's a hot dude with moth wings, to be totally honest. But <laughs> that's just my fantasy. But I, I still think I, I don't even think he's like technically a moth. I just think you know that was the best that they could come up with. You know, okay, that's they named yes, fine. no, I they don't named him after that. a Batman villain for crying out loud. Arms and legs like a human. Well, he has wings, but he has legs yeah, he and have, that badass. Doesn't have arms. He has wings. He flies. Least... He has to have wings. Yeah. yeah, but he doesn't flap the wings, so the wings are just kind of there for an aesthetic. I didn't realize he didn't flap his wings. No, he never flapped his wings ever. Oh, okay. See, that's that's where he gets the glutes because he's no. all that hovering no. takes a lot of muscle. <laughs> he's working that core. <laughs> no. We've derailed your podcast, Rob. I that's, apologize. That's fine. I'm I'm in on it. I'm in on it. Uh, I'm so distressed. <laughs> Liz, tell us about this brutal murder. Yeah, this is also disgusting. But this is a good part to go on a tangent, because now we're jumping to 1980. At this point, a man named Ernest Acosta, who is described as a sick and ailing old man. <laughs> All right, let's solve mysteries. Gathers his family around a rocking chair <laughs> and says, I know what happened to Audrey Moe, which must have been quite surprising. For his family. And he- it includes supposedly the phrase, there ain't nothing that goes on in this swamp that I don't know. Which I want to say one day. <laughs> it's just very memorable. Okay. Let's unpack that statement is there. Is it more ominous or more hilarious? Because it's, it's somehow both. Like in charge of the swamp? <laughs> yeah. Like he's fucking swamp thing or something. He's the swamp king. No, yeah. he's like the swamp manager. He's the ruler of his little swamp dominion. I think that's how he felt. I and it might be true. I don't know. Yeah, he's like the guy that like when you go into a store and you have shitty service and you want to speak to the manager, they are the manager. That is that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, except like, for oh, the swamp. You have a complaint yeah. about the swamp? Well, direct it to me and my shotgun. And also get yeah. the hell out of here. <laughs> he claimed. That his wife at the time, Caroline, was the killer. And that he had helped dispose of the bodies. Conveniently, she had died the year before. Yeah. That, I thought the same thing. I thought it was bullshit. He just didn't want to take, you know, the rap for the crime. We learned that he and Caroline lived on the edge of the swamp. They were less than a mile from the crime scene. And they both had, quote, surly reputations. Surly reputation. I also kind of want that to be how someone describes me in my old age. No one is going to describe you that way. <laughs> you were very friendly. 
I she think, has a surly reputation. Yeah, I think Surly's like downplaying it. Like these motherfuckers would murder people. Yeah. Did he even just sit on his porch with a gun and shoot at people that pass by. Yeah, it's a little more than Surly, but mm-hmm. I find that quite upsetting. <laughs> I mean, is that just like a product of like the '90s? They didn't want to, you know, like cross too many lines, so they're gonna, you know, downplay it a little bit. Not. I mean, maybe for television, they wanted to... Or maybe they thought that Surly was a good way to describe them. I mean, like, they're goddamn psychopaths. <laughs> sitting yeah. around shooting at anyone that walks around. <laughs> Ooh. How is that... Uh... Apparently, it's something you could do when you're king of the swamp. I guess. Yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, we hear from his daughter, who says that he was a very mean person, and explains the... Sh- habit of shooting at people and then also people came up asked him a question he would say what the hell you want while showing his gun so real character friendly yeah mm-hmm. and this one you know? and caroline were apparently a great match they were very similar temperaments she slept with a gun on her pillow they just were both gun nuts. that can't be very comfortable no I, uh, There's no way they had the plushest pillows around, so she's, yeah, she's laying on a gun. <laughs> I have trouble getting my pillow comfortable and it doesn't have a gun under it, so I can't imagine. Supposedly, Thomas and Audrey came to the house twice and argued with Caroline, but no one knows why. There's a theory that Thomas was related to Caroline. Hmm. Okay. I don't know what to make of that. We never hear any more information about that, and I couldn't find any evidence that they were related no and like why would you give a shit about being related to someone that would want to kill you yeah right. just don't go there that no. could easily oh. yeah that could easily all just also just be part of the local legend too like how do we know right right i mean you would figure you'd wor- learn from the first time because you're saying that they're saying that they went out there a couple times but apparently didn't learn his lesson and just got iced i think that maybe Caroline was blackmailing him because yeah. she knew he was cheating on his wife. Right. That seems more and likely. As King of the Swamp, <laughs> he knew everything that was going on. They're there every Saturday. He would know about their trysts and maybe they were blackmailing him. Yeah, I mean, that's. I they seem like the type that might do something like that. Trustworthy. Maybe. So he was being blackmailed by the assistant manager of the swamp. Is that is that how I'm yeah. getting this? Uh, yeah, it appears so. That's one yeah. theory. Okay. Acosta claims that Caroline killed them in the house for some reason. Who knows? And then he moves the bodies afterwards, which makes no sense. Clearly killed in the car. Although, right. why would he put Thomas's body? in the car, but then tie Audrey to a Civil War cannon, and then dump that in the swamp. Yeah. <clears throat> Who knows? It, well, that clearly isn't how it went down, because that's ridiculous. No, it makes no sense. So no, it, it doesn't. Presented by Unsolved Mysteries is that the Swamp King is actually the murderer, that it's a sex crime, He's watching them in the car, decides to kill Thomas and attack Audrey, and then possibly does tire to a Civil War cannon, which is the weirdest detail. Mm-hmm. So it weird. It really was. 
if I, I was in the mode of thinking, like, if this is where I lived, not only would they be arrested for murder, but the Environmental Protection Agency would be hitting them with so many fines for putting that <laughs> cannon right in the water. Oh, yeah. Hey, Unacceptable. in this swamp! Yeah. Pollution! Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're not big on that up here. On a Civil War cannon? Shouldn't they, like, I don't know, be in a museum or something? Why would you just dump that in a swamp? It's the heaviest thing he had, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? The, the only other, yeah, the only other heavy, heavy thing that he had was like a gun, you know, that could have like. He can't throw that in a swamp. No. He was like, "Well, I love my gun." Yeah. I hate my Civil War cannon. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a theory that that part of the story is true, and everything else he said is bullshit. Yeah. Maybe, possibly. Mm. What is so memorable about this segment is the reenactment of Audrey running from the car, literally in a broad slip, screaming for her life, as he's chasing her with a shotgun. One of the scariest things I've ever seen. I almost didn't want to rewatch that part of the segment because it's so frightening. The way the camera moves with Audrey, it's like a tracking shot, but she's running towards the camera, is fucking terrifying. I cannot believe children watch this. (laughs) Yep. Why am I? Should we be saying to our parents why we were watching this? Why did we all watch this? Why did you think it was okay for us to watch this? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. I don't know that anyone should be watching this. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. And that's it, folks. Audrey's body is never found. No one's arrested for this crime. Her daughter really wanted to find her and find out what happened. That never happened. Unfortunately, she passed away earlier this year. Oh, bummer. So it sucks even more. Bummer. The end. The if, you can't, if you can't tell, folks, the, the vibe of this is, like, depressing. The, this is what you're going to get this whole episode. Yeah, there's not a good one in the bunch, really. No. But that's why they haunt us to this day. So the, the theme of your podcast is really coming through. Yeah. Damn well, it, Stan. Damn him and his fucking trench coat. <laughs> Trench coats? Do you think he had? I think I assume he had a whole closet full of trench coats, I know. I was and they're all the same damn color. Yeah, they're classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I assume they were like so expensive and so perfectly tailored. Where are they now? That's the mystery. Where are they now? It's I it's yeah, them. it's like that mystery of like where were Bob Ross's paintings? Well. It turns oh, out that his yeah. foundation has them all, and they're all sitting in boxes. Yeah. Does the Robert Stack Estate still have all his trench coats and boxes? Get at us, Robert Stack Estate. We want to know. More importantly, can we use Patreon money to buy this? Well, I'm I mean, sure I think we have to. I'm sure we don't have enough, but we could maybe have a fundraiser. We could sell some what brownies. We, I don't know. Well, what if we pulled it together? Maybe the we have enough between between both of us. And, like, this is, like, the traveling pants, but it's a traveling trench coat. <laughs> We're going to have a, a, a Robert Stack bake sale first. We're going to sell yeah. some cookies and on Liz's front lawn in the Witch District. Stop by. Yep. This is a, it's a bit scheduled. That's Wonderful. It's a bummer. I feel for Audrey. We're thinking of you. In your watery grave, probably. Yeah. 
And that's the thing. There's no other updates. They never... Because oh. there was that cop that, like, was investing oh, no, at the I time, and he was just... That. Right. He gave some DNA to be tested at some point, but it doesn't look like anything really came of it. And they mm-hmm. were trying to find the cannon, but I think the crime scene is now underwater, so... Yeah, the beach where they were killed is less, it's in the swamp now. The swamp has risen, and... The swamp is finally sentient enough to just reclaim everything. Its yeah. king, it rises. Hopefully their home is underwater, too. <laughs> yeah. Is it time for Samantha to bum us out? Yeah, it's definitely time for Samantha to bum us out. Uh, All right, my specialty. Yes, go, go right ahead. So the case I chose was the death of Kathy Hobbs. So this is, and this was um, in season one, and if you want to watch it, it's on, it's episode 16, both in on YouTube and Amazon Prime. Uh, I checked so people can go be bummed out by watching this segment. Uh, which opens uh, with some rocking music and shots of the Las Vegas Strip. A theme here is the music really sets the tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Stack calls it, uh, meaning Vegas, an adult amusement park, but then reminds us that people actually live there. Just one mile from the Strip is the real world that tourists never see. It's an ordinary suburb. And on the evening of July 23rd, 1987, 16-year-old Kathy Hobbs was reading a romance novel in her amazing 80s teen girl bedroom. I Mm -hmm. love this bedroom. I'm obsessed with this bedroom. I want my whole house to look like Kathy Hobbs' (laughs) 80s teen girl bedroom. It's very relatable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our bedrooms look like this, 100%. With the heartthrobs postered on the wall and mismatched dressers and little doilies and her quilt. It was just adorable. She's like working on a latch butterfly pillow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, brings me right back. Even though this segment is super sad, the nostalgia is strong. And that's one of our favorite things about Unsolved Mysteries. It uh, hits the nostalgia bone pretty hard. Oh, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to mention was that reenactment Kathy's fashion, which is something we talk about on our podcast, excellent. Mm-hmm. The pink sweatpants and pink t-shirt. Chunky socks. Oh, yeah, the scrunchies. The yeah, just p- perfection. I think both of us watch this and go, we would have been such friends with Kathy. Yes, and that's one of the reasons I picked this segment and why it's haunted me is because, like, I was Kathy as a kid. She's just, we'll get into this, but she was described, she was described as introverted. She preferred to read in her bedroom or do, yeah, make latch hook pillows. Like, this was me. Like, I should have been murdered by a serial killer. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) That's a a hell of a way to characterize it. I mean, it's true. Anyway. Uh, so that night, she finishes her book and decides she's going to walk the one and a half blocks to the local supermarket to buy another one, which again, was me. Uh, she tells her mother, Vivian, that she is going out and might stop to talk to the local kids, so she should give her a kiss before she goes. That's her the- mom is the sweetest. Her mom's yeah. so, so wonderful. So at that, that's the last time she ever sees Kathy. Uh, Kathy made this walk often. Usually her friends would be gathered at the apartment swimming pool, chatting and gossiping. And Kathy's mother wasn't concerned because often one of them would decide to walk with Kathy to the store. However, just 
unfortunately this night the pool was empty and instead of going home Kathy decided she really wanted that book so she just kept going it was a neighborhood she trusted Uh, she'd lived there for a while it was only a block and a half away Uh, she wasn't concerned about it at all and she shouldn't have been yeah why would she be and also she just really needed another book to read and I can relate (laughs) this is why you need to have a big to read stack Yes. Yes. Yeah. This is why you need to buy too many books because then you never have to leave your house oh, to get another one. I, I mean, people wonder why, as shitty as they are, Amazon has a monopoly on like everything. Well, you know, it's because you could get murdered going to buy a book. Apparently, you know, yeah. and, and it's not good. It's not Absolutely. good. Absolutely, I got to fill up my Kindle so I never have to leave my house. Exactly. So. Uh, assuming that Kathy was with her friends and unconcerned for her safety, Kathy's mother went to sleep, but around 3 a.m. she woke from a sound sleep feeling as though she had been hit on the head. Then a peaceful feeling came over her and the sensation that, quote, it's all over now, end quote. Uh, She fell back asleep. The next morning, Vivian discovered that Kathy's room was empty. She had never come home. It's basically a mother's worst nightmare, and I really, really feel for Vivian. The local police seem to take immediate action, which is something that we know never happens. No, it's always like 24 hours. About this mystery is... Actually, there's really nothing to criticize about the police investigation. They seem to take it very seriously, and they got the news media involved. There was immediately a search. They didn't go, oh, she probably left town to start a new life, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so often we find that people's disappearances on this show aren't taken seriously. Uh, Teens are considered runaways. People, adults are thought to have just left town without, you know, taking their kids with them or just dropping everything or their money or their cars to just start a new life, which has only happened once that we've found. (laughs) Yeah. um, For instance, in in the town that I live in, there was a uh, young guy that went missing in 2012. And one of the theories that they were sporting was, oh, yeah, he just left town and, you know, started a new life somewhere else. I'm like, I don't think that's not. No, that's not how we do things. Yeah. People don't do that one guy who, like, stole some staples from his work did that yeah and you know he was so goddamn afraid that he was gonna get busted for it but otherwise everyone else yeah we often on our podcasts tell each other and our listeners that if we just disappear one day we've not left town to start a new life i would never Never. leave my dogs behind Mm -hmm. i need money i don't know what people think they can do without money but yeah so kind of wondering if in this case teams would run to las vegas would they run away from Las Vegas? That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe that's why they took it more seriously. Because a lot of times when we hear cases from small towns, they're like, oh, they probably went to the big city. And it's like, she's already there. Yeah, where is she going to go? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point I hadn't considered. One thing I thought was that Kathy was a good student. She was known to be very studious. Um, she's a, a girl, which really helps. Um, so she, I think... They didn't immediately label her a runaway like they might do with other kids, which is not fair, but that's the way that it often is. Um, But either way, the police... appreciate that they took it seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And they really did. They took immediate action. They contacted all of Kathy's friends. They conducted a media campaign using a photo of Kathy that ran all day long. 
Uh, detectives tell us that by the end of the second day, they were convinced that Kathy was probably abducted, which is really fast. Usually by the end of the second day, they're still like waiting to even allow the family to file a report. Mm-hmm. But they took immediate action and it won't help in the end. But it is nice that we, you know, we can't criticize the police at all. So this is where Robert Stack appears to tell us that Kathy's disappearance was a, quote, culmination of years of worry for Kathy's family, because as a child, Kathy had eerie premonitions that she would die at an early age. Robert Stack describes her as a, quote, shy and introverted girl who at the age of eight started telling her friends that she wouldn't live to the age of 16, which, like, again, is just like me, just kind of weird, preoccupied with the macabre, like... Not really wanting to socialize. Yeah, well, she started at eight, but we'll see she's, that... She's advanced. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's normal for teens to be very morose and morbid. I just never grew out of it. Yeah. yeah. Also, when her parents got divorced. Right. So, I don't know that there's really a paranormal aspect to this. They tried to hint at something. I agree that it seems like we can attribute Kathy's behavior to traumatic things that happened in her childhood. Uh, At age eight, her parents divorced, which probably explains the sudden onset of this strange behavior. Her mother says that Kathy, quote, didn't have a happy childhood. Uh, Her and her father were very close, so the divorce was extremely difficult for Kathy. They don't spell it out, but it seems like after the divorce, she never saw her father again. So that was obviously extremely traumatic. Someone that she loved very much just disappeared. And around that time, she started becoming preoccupied with her own death. So Unsolved Mysteries wants us to think that it's spooky. I think it's just trauma, but, you know. I guess trauma's spooky. Yeah, I mean, she did end up dying shortly after she turned 16. So it's just a horrible coincidence, but... Mm. Also just really sad. So then when she was in seventh grade, a good friend of hers died of heart disease. So you can see why she might have had a preoccupation with death. People she loved were simply disappearing from her life at the drop of a hat, which, yeah, is like going to fuck a kid up. Um, Yeah. Following the death of Kathy's friend, her mother moved them to Las Vegas, hoping that getting Kathy away from the environment she grew up in would help her. Although Kathy remained withdrawn, she did make some new friends, and it did seem as though the move had been the right decision. However, as she got nearer and nearer to her 16th birthday, her fears of dying returned. At this point in the segment, we get a lot of reenactments of Kathy alone in her bedroom. At one point, she is making that uh, latch hook pillow that we talked about earlier. Uh, so I just have more notes about how I was really appreciating the nostalgia factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathy was convinced that she wouldn't live past 16. As her birthday approached, she became despondent. But the morning of her birthday, she was surprised and relieved to find that she was still alive. Both her mother and her sister says that she came out of her room that morning and said, I made it, I made it. And they're like, what? She's like, I made it to 16. I didn't die. Uh, which is disturbing, but... She was happy uh, that she had survived. After this, her mood seemed to improve. Unsolved Mysteries tells us that she began to care about her future, and she would go out and put on makeup, which is the... (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Wait, This is ridiculous. Are are we to assume that makeup is like... uh, like It's a a sign that she's getting her life together. Yeah, like, only people that go outdoors and don't read novels wear makeup, okay? Yes, sure. she stopped. She stopped caring about books, and she wanted to meet boys. I don't know. 
Yeah, this is so cute. Yeah. It was so cute. She decided that she wanted to train to be a hairstylist, and her dream was to open her own beauty shop called Cat's Cuts. And Cat's has a K because her name is Kathy. It's so cute. I can't stand it. I'm going to cry. I actually cried rewatching it. This one is so sad. So, like we said, after Kathy disappeared, the police actually sprung into action. They immediately assumed that Kathy was abducted. They distributed photos of her to the entire police department. They encouraged the media to publicize her disappearance, and they mobilized volunteer organizations to look for her. Despite this, very little was found. The only evidence that surfaced was a clerk at the supermarket who remembered seeing Kathy that night. Store receipts confirmed that someone had purchased a paperback novel at 11.17 p.m. So Kathy had made it to the store, but she never made it home. The detective that is interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries, who unfortunately doesn't have a mustache, but that's fine, uh, thought, it, yes, thought that it was... Uh, said that even though it was late at night, Las Vegas is a 24-hour town, and the intersection where the supermarket was located was heavily traveled, so they were surprised that no one had seen anything. However, a few months later, an answering machine at the Las Vegas Police Department recorded a message from a man who said that he saw a man grabbing a screaming girl and forcing her into his vehicle on or around the night of Kathy's disappearance. The man on the recording said that he hadn't called sooner because he was out of town. This is one of the villains of the story, as far as I'm concerned. Despite multiple pleas from the police department for the man to call back, he never did. I wonder if it's a prank. I don't know. It could have been. I mean, at this point, this was months after she disappeared. The license plate he cites isn't real. Right. So it's either a cruel prank or he really did see someone that night and he's just... He's out of town and doesn't understand how phones work. Apparently. Yep. So, sadly, nine days after she disappeared, a hiker who was searching for unusual rock crystals out in the desert near Lake Mead, which is about an hour from Las Vegas, discovered her body. Uh, This is really traumatic for this man. He says that he had to stop and, like, compose himself and, like, convince himself that he was actually seeing what he thought he was seeing, which was a dead teenager in the wilderness. Uh, it's horrible. It's really Mm -hmm. horrible. At the scene, investigators could see that a vehicle had pulled. So it was Kathy's body. She, a vehicle had pulled in and out. There was also two large rocks stained with Kathy's blood. Presumably she had been brought there alive and killed at the location where her body had been discovered. The rocks being the likely murder weapon. And the autopsy did reveal that she had died from repeated blows to the head. So pretty gruesome. At the time of her death, she was 16 years, three months, and three days old. So she did make it to her 16th birthday, but not much longer. After her death, her family discovered letters she'd written to each member of her family. Uh, They were dated one month before her birthday. They were very sweet letters that talked about how much she loved them and how she didn't want them to be sad. She intended the letters to be received in the event of her death, which, of course, is what happened. So that's the end of the Unsolved Mysteries segment. This mystery is likely solved. Michael Lee Lockhart was a serial killer who was executed on December 9th, 1997 by the state of Texas. He became the prime suspect in Kathy's murder, although he was never formally charged with her death. Uh, The Murderpedia entry for Lockhart says that he was convicted for the capital murder of police officer Paul Holsey Jr. in Beaumont, Texas. He was also implicated in a series of gruesome offenses, 
during the five months preceding the Texas murder, including the brutal murders of 16-year-old Wendy Gallagher of Griffith, uh, I think Texas, I'm not sure, and 14-year-old Jennifer Collier in Lando Lakes, Florida. Um, And then the Unsolved Mysteries Wiki says that in May 1987, Lockhart stole a blue 1986 Toyota Celica and kept it until November 1987. Authorities believe that during this time, he abducted and murdered Kathy. Blue fibers found at the crime scene matched fibers from the stolen vehicle. Credit card receipts also placed him in Las Vegas at the time of the murder. And then finally, and I couldn't figure out exactly what he said. I would try to find it on the internet, but it's really not there. When investigators questioned him about Kathy's case, he virtually confessed to the crime. So he didn't come right out and say it, apparently, but they got the vibe that he was definitely probably her murderer. Lockhart was convicted for a series of murders in Texas, Indiana, Tennessee, and Florida, and was eventually executed in Texas in December 1997. Since he had already been sentenced to death in four states, Nevada did not pursue a prosecution for Kathy's murder. So doesn't sound like the evidence they had was the strongest. So it probably would have been a waste of their time. No, Mm. but it is sad that the family didn't get that closure. Yeah. I just, yeah, this murder in general and this Unsolved Mysteries segment is is really haunting. Because I think both Liz and I could relate to Kathy. And it's just really unfortunate that someone so young was taken and this horrible serial killer she just happened to walk to the store that night like it's just totally random totally random yeah and you know and you know this is a crime against avid readers it really is it is is. absolutely (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate also that the police pointed out that this is a 24-hour town it was well lit (laughs) The stores open all hours. People are coming and going to work at all hours. It was not victim blaming. Yeah, no. it was not. You know, they no one thought that it was unusual that for Kathy to walk a block to get a book in the middle of the night. It was just she was sort of a victim of coincidence, right? She just happened to finish her book. Yeah. She wanted a new one. Her friends just happened to not be at the pool to walk with her that night. The a serial killer just happened to be in this intersection when she was, you know what I mean? So it's just, that's another thing that's haunting about this is that she was in the wrong place at the wrong time in a lot of ways. And that is terrifying. Yeah. Like it's a perfect time for something bad to happen and, and it does happen. And uh, yeah, like everyone that listens to true crime podcasts thinks this is what's going to happen to them. It's right. Really not. It's very rare, and that's why we're talking about it. But it's so terrifying that it kind of takes up a lot of space in your mind. Yeah, because you want to believe that you could prevent something like this. Like if I just take a self defense class, or if I just carry mace on me, or whatever. But really, like this is a complete coincidence. Kathy couldn't have prevented it. She just happened to be in the wrong place right. at the wrong time, and that's almost scarier than anything. Right. And it's like the idea that the cases that we're talking about are people that were uh, most likely killed by strangers. They didn't know. So it's rare in that circumstance because uh, most of the time people are killed by those that they do know. You married your murderer. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. If you're going to be murdered, it's going to be by your spouse or your romantic partner. Uh, So... But like Liz said, because these are so scary and because they're so rare, they're the ones that we talk about. 
But I just feel for Kathy's family. I feel for Kathy. I feel like I was little Kathy at 16. And, you know, in another world, in another timeline, Mm. Kathy could have grown up to have a paranormal radio show and could have been just like us. A little too obsessed with the macabre, you know, just a weirdo. And but instead, some fucking serial killer murderer. What a jerk. Yeah, some pile of shit decided that he wanted to kill somebody some someday. Yeah, I'm glad he's dead too. I mean, I don't yeah. believe in the death penalty, but I'm glad he's dead. I'm not sad he's dead. I, I'm not either, and rotten hell, son of a bitch. <laughs> here, here, cheers. Alright, I think it's time for Rob to talk about the saddest mystery of all time. This is even worse! <laughs> I don't talk about murder on this podcast, and yet we're talking about murder, and I am talking about murder, and... This is noteworthy, because we are on season four right now, and we just finished episode 11, and this was, I think, episode 14? Yep. So, we haven't... This is the first time I've watched this one, and man, oh man, is it a bummer. I hate it. Yep. Yep. I can see why this haunts you, because it's gonna haunt me for the rest of my days. The main reason I chose this story is because it affected me as much as it did when I was eight years old and I saw it for the first time. I question the judgment my parents had when uh, they let us watch shows like this, but you know, sins of the past. We'll 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 deal with it, I guess. <laughs> Mom and Dad, did you know how you ruined my life? Did you did you know? Did you know you ruined my life? But uh, yeah, I, I grew up amongst the cartoons, the, the the cartoons, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, the real Ghostbusters. I grew up watching shows like Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted, and I heard stories of people being abducted off the streets, never to be seen again, in small towns across the U.S., and it freaked me the hell out. I grew up in a town of about 3,300 people. I live in a town right now of about 3,500 people. I've always lived in small towns, and it's these kind of stories that just terrify me. Here, full disclosure, about 11 years ago, there was a man that broke into my childhood home after my father died, and it scared the living shit out of me. He was basically drunk and he was trying and he didn't know what house he lived in. He lived in the place next door, but dear God, it terrified the shit out of me. That is terrifying. But the story we're talking about today is uh, the story of Angela Hammond. And it plays out almost in a cinematic kind of way as something that like is reserved for movie screens that uh, stories that shouldn't be true, but are true. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. So Angela Hammond, better known as Angie to everyone in the community of Clinton, Missouri, was born on February 9th, 1971. Angie was a bright, cheery, and positive person. She was the kind of person that, you know, liked to have fun and was fun to be around. Angie and her parents, uh, Marsha and Chris, they moved to Clinton in 1975. And not long after, a baby boy, Lauren, was added to the family. In the ensuing years, Marcia and Chris's marriage fell apart, but their children still grew up in a, in a loving family environment, and Clinton, Missouri played a big part in that. In 1990, Angie met Rob Schaefer, and the two fell fast in love. 
Uh, Rob had uh, career military aspirations, but that never seemed to get in the way of the relationship at all. And in January of... Rob gets a pass. Uh, he's yeah. one of the good ones. Yeah, he, he's one of the good ones. And when you watch this segment, you can clearly tell that it messed him up for life. It really has. In Are Rob's just generally nicer, nicer people, would you say? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I was waiting for you to bring that up, but you didn't, so I just thought I would offer it up. I didn't I didn't want to gloat my namesake, but you know we were talking earlier about the King of the Swamp and um <laughs> well Robert means kingly, so suck it, oh. swamp murderer. Okay, okay. So in January of nineteen ninety one, three months before Angie disappeared, she revealed the news that she was pregnant, which was a fact that Unsolved Mysteries left out of the episode for some reason. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. They, apparently, they didn't want to make it any more sad and depressing than it was. But uh, they did it to make her more sympathetic, actually. Yeah, probably. You, know, you have to think about it in a really like 1991 way, where her pregnancy would be scandalous. So they're like being nice to the victim by leaving it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Rob was elated, and not long after, he proposed to Angie, and she happily agreed to marry him. Uh, the couple moved in together into a trailer. Uh, Angie was taking college courses at Central Missouri State, some 30 miles from Clinton, and was working at a, a night processor at the Union State Bank. So Angie's just busting her ass, you know, to yeah, make a living. That sounds so tough. I know. Mm -hmm. But... Rob still had military aspirations, and she supported him the whole way through. But he was going to hold off enlisting until the baby was born later that year. If I was uh, pregnant, I'd be doing nothing. Zero. Yeah. Just sitting around growing a human. Which is enough, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to school and then working at night. Fuck that. No. Yeah. I, she was very strong. No, she's one of the really good people. Just... Someone that, shit, that I would have loved to hang out with, you know? Yeah, she seemed really cool, really hardworking, and yeah, it's just tragic. On April 4th, 1991, the couple attended a barbecue at Marsha Hammond's house in Montrose, uh, which was 20 miles away from Clinton. They left at 9 p.m. Angela dropped Rob off at his mother's house at around 10 o'clock in order to watch his younger brother until his mother came home. They made plans to meet up at around midnight, and Angela spent some time with her best friend, uh, Kyla Engman, before she decided that she just wanted to go home and relax for the night. She was tired. She stopped at a bank of phone booths in the Food Barn parking lot, which is now uh, apparently a used car parking lot, and called Rob to notify him of the change of plans. The call was placed around 11.15 p.m., and the two talked for approximately 30 minutes, according to phone records. During that time, Angie became unnerved by a late-model Ford F-150 pickup truck that had been circling around the block near the phone bank. This is such a terrifying scene. It's such a creepy mm -hmm. detail. It's, it's almost predatory. I mean, it is predatory. The way he's yeah. circling like a vulture or something. Yeah, it yeah. just yeah. evokes a visceral fear. I don't know. It's so creepy. Yeah. This is something we don't really have to deal with now, thanks to cell phones. But 
for having to like be out of her car, be out at night to use the phone. She's such an she's in such a vulnerable position. Yeah. So t- just terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it is. She told Rob that it had been circling time and again, the truck eventually pulled up near the phones and the driver got up and went to the up to the phone next to Angie. He then went back to his truck and started to look around the cab with a fra- with a flashlight. Trying to assuage her uneasiness, Angie called out to the man and asked if he needed to use the phone, at which point he said no. Angie described the man in detail to Rob over the phone. He was, as she put it, dirty looking. He was an older man uh, with a beard and mustache wearing overalls. What... Uh, and like she's trying to stay on the phone so someone knows what's happening so that she's yeah. safe. she doesn't want to hang up and walk back to her car while this guy's still there right right Ugh. and i'm sure she felt safe like stepping out of that phone booth is like yeah putting yourself in a more yeah. vulnerable position because now you have mm-hmm. to get from the phone booth to your vehicle get into your vehicle start it and then get away. So I totally understand her staying on the phone with Rob, describing what was going on in hopes that, yeah, he would just leave. Yeah. And it's, and like, if you're talking to like a 911 dispatcher, they would want you to stay on the phone too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. What she said about his truck though, stuck out in the back window was a unique decal of a fish jumping out of the water. Rob tried to ease her anxiety, telling her that it was probably nothing, that the guy was probably lost and not from around there. But all that would change momentarily. Rob, yeah, yeah, it's... uh... Rob heard a blood-curdling scream on the other end of the phone. He heard a male voice say, I didn't need to use the phone anyway. Oh, it's so bone-chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really terrible. Rob dropped the phone and ran out of the That's house. Ballsy, right? Yeah. Are you gonna no. attack her while she's on the phone? Yeah. Oh, no. for sure. No, he's like tearing ass out of there. He's leaving his kid brother alone. He's a good man. He's going to fucking stop this shit right that the fuck moment, now. Man. Oh, yeah. and they unsolved mysteries captures the panic so perfectly in the reenactment of him just like running as fast as he can for his car it's i it's definitely one of the reasons why this segment is so haunting yes and what's about to happen doesn't really help he lived a short seven blocks from the parking lot and on the way a truck fitting the description of the one angie had described darted past him the man in the, in the cab appeared to be struggling with a woman, and some accounts claim that he heard Angie call out Robbie as he sped by. Which is what they show in the reenactment, and it's blood curdling. It's mm-hmm. it's so horribly sad and frightening. Yeah, that you can put yourself in Rob's shoes and feel how panicked he is. Yeah, Rob threw it in reverse and spun around, and. In the process of that, he damaged the transmission of the car. He pursued the truck through Clinton's business district, passing familiar storefronts that bustled with people during the day, but were mere ghosts at night. As the truck made a right-hand turn, Rob's car died shortly after making the turn himself. He could only watch as the truck sped away. 
most horrible thing I've ever seen. My thought yeah. while watching this was that this is a horror movie. Rob is in his car chasing this man who has his fiance, and he's helpless as his car just putters out. It slowly yeah. dies. There's nothing he can do about it. He sees the taillights of the truck disappear into the night, and his fiance is gone. Like, yeah. you couldn't have written a scarier moment in a horror movie. No, like, and this is real life for this poor man. Like, this kind of shit shouldn't be happening in real life. Like, realistically, it's just fuck. Yeah, that's how we feel. Yes. A passing motorist saw Rob walking back to town because his car just shit the bed and took him to the police department. They they were initially skeptical of Rob's claims. His story they thought seemed scripted, like it came from a movie. But a week after Angie went missing, he was ruled out as a suspect, passing a polygraph exam, and apparently two eyewitnesses. for life. Yeah. 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 Uh, look at the man's face. You can't tell me that he isn't traumatized. And there were apparently two eyewitnesses that came forward saying that they also saw the green truck as well, though we don't get a lot of detail on that. A party of 250 people mounted a search of the nearby woods and surrounding area, but they turned up nothing. Law enforcement officials performed database searches for trucks fitting the description that Angie had given to Rob, but 1,600 matches came back. Law enforcement turned up zero leads uh, in the case of Angela Hammond, but they believe the case could have been connected to two other disappearances that occurred in nearby Missouri counties. In Max Creek on January 19, 1991, Trudy Darby was working the night shift at the local K&D convenience store. At 10 p.m., she phoned her son, Waylon, and told him that she felt uneasy by three men that were loitering outside the store. She closed up the store early and asked her son to pick her up from work. Two days later, Trudy's body was discovered in the Little Niangua River, and she was completely naked and with two gunshots to her head. A month after Trudy's murder... Uh, where he like immediately goes to pick up his mom and by the time he gets there she's gone yeah that's horrible Mm. a month after trudy doing to people yeah fuckers stop murdering people just stop just yeah the wake the just trauma that just is in the wake of this this person is just horrible Mm-hmm. Because now what happens, and what they talk about with Rob, is that he blamed himself, right? Yes. And her mom said that we never blamed him and we wouldn't, and it totally isn't his fault. But of course, he's going to feel that way, because he was right there, right? He saw the murderer, he saw the guy with her, and his car just broke. And of course, he blames himself, and probably will for the rest of his life. And that's just absolutely horrible. And probably the same with this guy, who just didn't get there fast enough. Yeah. Ah, it's so awful. It, it it exasperates that small town thing because you're in like a relatively short driving distance to anything. So yeah. you should have been there and you know, you due to circumstance or some other bullshit, that moment happens. That moment that comes along once so every so often just happened right yeah. there. Well, and people who, I mean, always want to talk about how safe small towns are, which isn't true. Crime happens everywhere. But you have this sense of security in your town. And that's just completely, 
yeah, you know everybody, you know every street, what you, you know, every all of that. And then it's just shattered when something like this happens. And in a way, it traumatizes the whole town, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A month after Trudy's murder, Cheryl Ann Kenny was working at a quality convenience store in Nevada, Missouri. Uh, in a scene similar to Trudy's, Cheryl closed up shop early that night, giving her only other employee the rest of the night off. She counted the till, prepared the deposit, and set the alarm system on her way out. She was never seen or heard from again. Three years later, the murder of Trudy Darby was solved. The crime was carried out by Jesse Rush and his half-brother, Marvin Cheney. Rush was apprehended after bragging to friends that he had murdered 42-year-old Trudy Darby. Like a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> so sad. Yeah. So senseless. Um, hey, Marvin, yeah. You're welcome to brag to us about your crimes. We will make sure that you get what is coming to you. <laughs> um, oh, Angela's... I'm this guy with this truck. I'm killing yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, really like, old now. Yeah, um, things <laughs> things that I don't tolerate: animal abuse. This guy in this truck, they're fucked. Animal abusers and this guy, fuck this, this guy. I'm assuming he's still driving this fish truck around, and I hope a piano he's falls from the sky. Yeah. yeah, I hope a piano falls from the sky and just lands on his stupid truck with this stupid fish decal. Yeah. Actually, I hope the fish decal is the only thing that survives from it. <laughs> so we know it's him. Yeah. yeah. When he drives into a ravine and the truck catches on fire. The fish decal just floats. To yeah, the like um, like that scene from Groundhog Day where um, yes. Bill Murray's like trying to you know kill himself over and over again, and one of them he just drives a truck off a cliff, and yeah. you know. Yeah, I hope it's like that. I really do. will dance on his bones. <laughs> yes. You traumatized us with this case, Rob. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say you picked a good one, which isn't like necessarily the right phrasing, because it's not a good one, but it is haunting, and it will haunt me for the rest of my life. And so, and the other thing is that we're going to have to watch this episode pretty soon. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, you're going to have to live this again. We might just skip yeah. it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so horrible. Yeah, Angela's disappearance has remained unsolved. Few leads have come to light in the ensuing years, but in April of 2009, the Clinton Police Department announced that they had DNA evidence that they were pursuing, but they ultimately never released any further details. It's said that the small what town of Clinton... Look for her until a week passed? Or five days passed? Yeah, what? I don't... When did the yeah. police start? Because I know that Rob was a suspect initially. Was right. that when um, their investigation began? or Pretty much. Like, they... It didn't begin right away, it seemed like. Just the vibe from the show it seemed like they were... It was maybe a couple days before they actually started to do anything. Because I know they questioned his story. They said it sounded theatrical, which it does, but it's still yeah. true. Well, yeah. They could look into it. Right. Right. Instead of wait until she's definitely dead and then go, oh, now I guess we'll look for her. Yeah. Ugh. Mm. So it's um, it's said that the small town of Clinton, Missouri is still haunted by the disappearance of Angela Hammond. Crimes in Aren't small we all? 
Yeah, crimes in small populations like these often feel like birthmarks more than scars. As the years tick by, it becomes harder to remember how you felt before crimes like these occurred. Rob Schaefer has since married and has children. To say that he's still affected by the night is an understatement. He still keeps in touch with the Hammond family who do their best to keep the love and positivity that Angie spread so freely alive. Well, absolutely. Like, if there is a Hall of Fame of Robs, he is in this Hall of Fame. (laughs) Absolutely. He is the, yes. So now that uh, we've definitely brought down the the mood. I mean, Unsolved Mysteries has a way of doing that. Yeah, you're really in a good mood. You need a lost love. This is why we love the lost love segment so much, is because they're so heartwarming most of the time that it just, you can't help but be happy when you have to, yeah, watch segments like this. It's nice to have, yeah, a family reunited after 30 years or whatever. Yeah, you. It's like, where'd those 30 puppies go? (laughs) Yeah. Stack turns around and is like, here they are. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just Robert Stack playing with puppies. (laughs) That would be great. I wish he were still alive so that in the internet age that would exist. But (laughs) where did uh, those thirty puppies go? (laughs) Here they are. (laughs) They're just like in a box. He picks up. (laughs) That's the whole mystery. That would be amazing. (laughs) Yes. Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, thirty puppies went missing. That's just it. We found them. No, Don't worry. That's terrible. And then it's like, oh, here they are. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And then, yeah, they get you in like an, an update or something. Yeah. Oh, would... I wish that was the case. Yeah, I would. I would too. So, um, before we wrap this up, um, traumatized all of your listeners. Yeah. Uh, now that I won't be sleeping all the night and none of you will, um, <laughs> Tell people where they can find the Perhaps It's You podcast. Uh, hit us with your social media links, all that good stuff. Oh, great. So we are on most podcast platforms. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. We're on Spotify. Spotify. You can also listen on our website, perhapsitsyou.com. You can listen directly from there. Uh, we are also on social media at Perhaps It's You, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we have a Facebook group that's super cool. It's something like the unofficial, unofficial, unsolved, unofficial podcast or something. Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Yeah. Uh, you'll find us. <laughs> There's only one group. It's cool. We hang out there. Um, yeah, you can watch pe- watch Liz fight people on Twitter and you can see some photos yeah. I take on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all we have to plug. Listen to our We're podcast. Four right now, but we, you can listen to all the previous seasons. We're chugging away. We go episode by episode. So right now we are on I don't know like episode twelve of season four. Um, we watch on Amazon Prime, but they're on YouTube now, and it is pretty consistent. You know, I found that my mystery was in the same episode on YouTube as on Amazon, yeah. so you can watch for free you now. Just watch it there for the. So that's cool, and yeah, we just do this we talk about the mysteries we recap them we will typically find our favorite mustache in every episode that's fun people seem to like that you will regularly trash on treasure segments which is great yeah we hate the treasure segments we love the lost loves and we just pray to satan that we get a paranormal mystery that's that's all you can hope for because generally those paranormal mysteries break up 
the underlying sadness that Unsolved Mysteries brings to the table when they people do. get murdered. I love a yeah, I love a alien mystery. Like a hotel. Yeah, anything yeah. haunted. Some old people's house. I'd- I mean, one of one of my favorite unexplained segments is a haunted hotel. Uh, on uh, I can't remember what year it was, but uh, it's the. La Posada Hotel. It's a it's a fun haunted hotel in uh, New Mexico, I think. And I think uh, all the haunted hotels are in New Mexico. Yeah, that probably. I mean, the UFOs crash there. You know, the, the haunted hotels are out there. Uh, New Mexico, get back to us. What's going on? Serious place. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Stack calls it uninhabitable, but that's we know that's not true. Yes. Yeah. Um. And uh, speaking of the La Posada Hotel, one of my good buddies, Rich Adam, he is the screenwriter of the Mothman Prophecies. Wow. Uh, yes, he has actually been to the La Posada Hotel, and he has shown me photos, and it seems pretty damn cool. We gotta find out if he thinks Mothman is half man, half moth, or a man-sized moth. I will I will put the question to him. Find out for us and let us know. I, I will I will I definitely do that. Yeah, really what we want to know is the booty situation, but if you don't feel comfortable asking him that, we understand. I think I think you know, Rich is cool. I think uh I think we'll be all right. What's the booty I situation? Like we do need to get an expert in here to find out which which it characterization is. of Mothman is accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's fair, and uh, I'll get to some people, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> thank you. Wonderful. Yes. Well, thank you both for coming on the podcast. This was incredibly fun and incredibly depressing. That's my <laughs> fault. The depression part, all my fault. Well, it's but- on brand for us. Murderer's fault. Yeah, and it's yeah. on brand for us. Fun and depressing is pretty much the tagline of our podcast. Yeah, we can wish we were taking naps. Any exact. Yeah. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. Uh, I'm all about that Garfield kind of life, you know? So, yeah. 100%. Well, thanks for having us. This was yeah, a lot of fun. Rob. We really appreciate it being on. A Hall of Fame, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yes, again, thank you so much. And, uh, well, folks. Um... Solve some mysteries, bitches. <laughs> Solve some goddamn mysteries. We reached out to Rich Haddam after our broadcast to ask him if he thought the Mothman was half moth, half man, or a man-sized moth. He only added to the mystery by saying that he thought it was half moth, half myth. The legend of the Mothman remains unsolved. Duvid Media